1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: Welcome to the Runners Podcast with me, Rick Pearson.
2: And me, Jane McGuire.
0: Today, we're speaking with Reena McGregor about the pros and cons of fasted running. Jane, what's new? What's going on?
2: It's been a while, hasn't it? I feel like I've, I haven't been on for a few weeks. Um Yeah, all good. I'm, I'm currently, you can probably hear, a bit croaky, recovering from a chest infection, which isn't fun. got some antibiotics, which are great, and I'm um, on the mend, but it's not COVID, so that's the good news, I think. Um, yeah, that's but, good yeah, news, isn't it? Took a week off running, which was a bit stressful, actually, but just, just couldn't breathe, Rick. So I think if you can't breathe walking the dog...
0: Shouldn't be running. It's not
2: really, not really time to go for a run, is it? (laughs) So, um, tried tried for the first time ever to really take a proper week off and not even try going out for a run. And I do did my first first kind of three miles back today, and it's still pretty hard to breathe. So we're we're not we're not out of the woods yet, but we're getting there. How about you? How's how's the post knee op?
0: Yeah, so it's been two weeks since the the knee operation. I'm back to like, I'm walking kind of pain-free, no crutches, right. so that's good. And I think it, having talked to a few people, I talked with um, Robbie Britton, who's been on here a few times, and he's had a similar operation done. And he said it's, yeah, it's probably six weeks before you can do your first run. Um, yeah. And it's pretty important with the stuff to do like uh, all the mobility stuff that you're told to do, because I think actually it's quite easy to get about 90% of your movement and stuff back. But actually, the, the final 10% is something you have to be quite diligent about. So, um but no, I'm I'm already sort of looking at races, you know, for the summer and 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 the autumn. And I think I will come back with a renewed um, gratitude for for running. So it's actually I'm actually feeling pretty good about it. And I guess the fact that sort of spring is kind of round the corner now is I always find this quite a hopeful part of the year when you kind of in towards the end of February. Kind of think, okay, great, right. What's yeah. Gonna, what, what's going to be in the diary? Um, How's the Joy Plan? Very quickly.
2: The Joy Plan is going well. Actually, I I did a um, I had this urge. This is probably when I'm not blaming this class for getting sick, but the <laughs> day I got sick, I was like, I want. I'm going into London because I've got some meetings, and I really want to do like a wanky. Can I say that on the podcast? I think that's okay. TA. Yes, yeah, um, it's okay, yeah. Like one of those like really expensive fitness classes you spend a fortune on but I normally avoid like the plague but I was like do you know what I miss doing that and I loved it I was in like a room I think it's the first class I've done since before the pandemic and just being in a room of other people all working out. I was like, "This is great. I've really, I have really missed this," and I was really surprised. And I was like, "Wow, the Joy Plan is great because I followed my gut and I wanted to do this." Yeah. And then I got ill. So I don't know if that was my body being like, "Chill out, the Joy Plan." You know, you've really gone from naught to hundred here. But it might have just been being back in London. You know I Me and my immune system. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. when you send a baby to nursery, I'm, I'm not, yeah. I'm not built for the city again. <laughs> Um, but I'm looking forward to kind of doing some more classes and carrying on with the Joy Plan. And I'm going to try and do the Landmarks Half, which will be like a, the first kind of running event I've done on the Joy Plan. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking at the moment, the plan is just to get over a chest infection and try and enjoy it. But we'll see. We'll see. It's a, what be- it's a beautiful
0: route. I've never, I've never done it, but everyone does it it's, like, it. it's like a sightseeing because it's not often that central London roads get. Close like that, and it's not even necessarily that true for the marathon. You don't really get the great sites until what mile 25 and 26, really. Yeah, um, but I think it takes in all like, yeah, a lot of a lot of the kind of classic tourist sites. So,
2: and they're actually landmarks are doing which you know, I think is quite cool. They're doing a local landmarks 10k challenge, which is to kind of run a 10k plotting around the local landmarks in your area which I think is quite cute so you can kind of you know maybe you live near a Banksy or (laughs) maybe you (laughs) live near a beautiful cathedral or by the Thames and you can plot a route take some pictures send them in and I think you get a medal I might be wrong check that but I think you're pretty sure you get a medal Um, which is like a cool kind of virtual challenge that you can maybe do if you're not if your joy plan means you're not comfortable going to races yet and i totally feel you that could be like a cute kind of
0: yeah that's nice that yeah
2: i quite liked it so yeah celebrating celebrating
0: celebrating your neighborhood I like, I like that i think that's good yeah and um, so i've been looking around so part of part of my job is obviously looking after the warm-up section of runners world print magazine that's where we put like some of the newsy stuff but also some of the like the kind of workouts and the new studies and all that sort of stuff and one that i found was called um it's called a three minute mountain legs and this okay. is like this is like a sort of strength and conditioning workout if you haven't got any hills near you but you want to get good on hills or maybe you even sort of signed up for a mountain race um and a lot of top um mountain runners do this there's a guy called um jason schlab and he's won things like the hard rock 100 which is pretty much about as hard as it gets in, you know in, yeah, in ultra hardcore. Running. pretty hardcore. Um, and. Yeah, it's three minutes it's only two exercises and there's no weights involved so it's like it's a reverse lunge that you do and then you and then you've got to do a step up so you've got to find some steps and then you and, you, and the step up is quite rapid but anyway if you google three minute mountain legs it's um there's a youtube video on it it'll come straight up and it's um what i like about it is i always think with strength and conditioning stuff it needs to be it needs to be easy simple time efficient not really requiring too much equipment otherwise I think people end up doing it for a little bit and then just completely stop doing it because it's like too much of a stress and I kind of think stuff that's like yeah this is three minutes of your day it's effective Um, and yeah okay you're not going to be ticking off every single you know area of the leg that that you should be strengthening but this is way better than doing nothing and I think too often it's a case of this kind of gold standard that we hold up for people of like you should be lifting heavy weights twice a week. we're actually well actually doing something is actually better than than being intimidated by that and, and doing nothing. Do you know what I
2: mean? Do you know what I like about it? It reminds me of I used to be obsessed with step aerobics and yeah. it sounds just like a step class.
0: It's quite and similar to a step class, yeah.
2: Nothing has ever hurt my legs more than a step aerobics class. <laughs> yeah. And I've you know, I've run a marathon, so I can say that. I can you know, put that on on a T-shirt. Step aerobics, absolute killer. So maybe we should all buy one of those nineties videos and step, <laughs> and forget about going to the gym.
0: Sort of Jane Jane Fonda videos. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. Yeah, I yeah, think well, I
2: think let's just let's get some ankle weights and <laughs> dig them out because exactly. that sounds yeah. great.
0: So we're we're going to talk about um, fasted running with Rini, Um and she's like a real expert on all things nutrition. She's going to be the new nutrition columnist for Runners World, which is. A great scoop for us. Um yeah. have you ever, have you ever done any you ever exper- experimented with fasted running? It's not something that I've i I've sort of done some stuff like that, but I haven't really kind of gone Tuesday, that's fasted day. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think I've um done this by accident because I I hate the feeling of running on a full stomach. It makes me feel really sick. Um okay. so I think I have I'm very often I'll get up and just go for a run without even having a sip of water. So I think okay. I have done this, but not consciously. I've not kind of... I've not... And I also, you know, when people listen to what Rini has to say, I think I shouldn't be doing this because I think I could probably Mm. be a better runner if I did have like half a banana or something before I went out because what she says makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't feel great afterwards and I probably don't run as well as I could because Mm. I'm fasted. I just have always got it into my head that I feel better doing that. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe... I have done it by mistake, but i will change my mind after this, which might be what a lot of listeners do too.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I think it could be a bit of a badge you want to someone somewhere. Else like, yeah, I don't need to. I don't eat and drink anything over like you know, uh, if I'm going out for like seventy minutes, or whatever. Yeah, and actually, yeah, maybe a little bit of fasted exercises is okay. But I think yeah, it's something that's very easy to sort of misinterpret or to I think so. I think it's extreme like extreme on.
2: There's a real trend, or oh, there was a trend about not drinking on the run have I made that up or people kept talking about that didn't they that you didn't need water when you were running and I kind of yeah dodged yeah. that one so maybe I've accidentally stumbled into this one too I don't know but I remember something about oh you don't need to carry water I was like oh well if you're thirsty yeah. have a drink
0: <laughs> again it's it, like a lot of things I think it comes with there's this sort of like little grain of truth in some stuff where like there's been some studies to show that you should drink to, to thirst right rather yeah. than like down in two liters every mile or whatever and I think that's that's true but it gets kind of taken to like yeah i should go out with like no water for two hours yeah. because the body doesn't need it and it's like no no that's not that's not that's not what science is saying at all um but it's, it's great to talk to really because actually, like yeah completely qualified in this area and i think there's probably too much kind of self-appointed experts whereas really actually someone who um yeah has, has got all the you know her cv is like pretty much unparalleled in this area so um yeah great to get her on and let's get on our guest of the week what do you reckon yeah let's do it guest of the week here in the studio guest of the week sometimes on the phone could be an athlete
3: could
0: be a physio or a complete unknown our guest this week is a leading sports dietitian, specialising in eating disorders and athlete health and performance. She's worked with both everyday runners and Olympic athletes, and is here today to talk about the pros and cons of fasted running. So, Reena McGregor, welcome to the Runners World podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Rick.
0: Could we start by defining what people tend to mean when we when we use the term fasted running?
1: Of course, yeah. So, I think I think what's happened is fasted running has become this term that people used basically when they you know they do their training probably first thing in the morning, they get up and they go. And because they haven't had anything to consume since their previous meal or their previous, um, the previous night, it's counted as fasted running because um, generally speaking, if we haven't eaten anything for four hours, it's sort of counted as fasted. So I think that's where it's sort of come from. But actually, when we look at it from a performance point of view, it's actually probably come from a term scientifically that we use which is called training low which is slightly different to faster training.
2: Is this a new thing or is this something we've been doing forever and people are just suddenly talking about it again?
1: I think some people always train have always trained early morning and that's what they've done but I think the more we've become focused I'm going to use the word fixated a little bit as well on performance and nutrition and the more people are getting in in sort of involved and thinking about it the more complicated we've actually made it so I know like if we go back in the day and we talk about like Ron Hill for example I know he used to do a lot of his marathon training in a fasted state Um, however he would also then come home and consume you know huge quantities of carbohydrate afterwards and he wouldn't do every run in that state so I think what's interesting is, is that like with everything in modern society, somebody's taken something actually that could be useful and scientific, dumbed it down so much so that now everybody feels that they almost have to do every single run in that state. Now, you know, sometimes we do it because it's convenient. But I think there's quite a lot of runners who think they need to do every run in a fasted state in order to get the benefits of what they think they're going to get from a fasted run
0: so so what are the purported benefits then really of like what is the kind of the the carrot everyone's chasing when they when they want to do fasted training
1: so if we go back to a little bit about like if we look at physiology of humans we generally speaking our body likes to work on carbohydrate that's the fuel that it prefers it's the fuel that's easy it's broken down and it means that our you know our muscles get energy delivered very very quickly and we can maintain a certain pace the problem with humans is that we only have a certain amount of storage within our body to actually hold that amount of carbohydrate. so if we have full glycogen stores and when i mean full glycogen stores that means we have actually consumed enough carbohydrate to basically fill all our glycogen stores in our muscles and in our liver then we've probably got enough energy to last us around 90 to 120 minutes and when we're running at a fairly moderate intensity so something like you know six or seven out of ten in terms of exertion so if you're running any faster than that you're going to use that tank even quicker so that's the thing like that's the thing thing to, to be kind of understand now what the theory behind fasted training is that if we train our bodies to use more fat for fuel again humans have a really big storage of fat within our bodies we've all got lots of adipose tissue and it's all there sitting waiting to be used um and provides energy in in, you know like fat gives more energy per gram than carbohydrate to a certain degree so the idea is that if we can train our bodies to use more fat for fuel then we can spare our glycogen stores so in those endurance events like the marathon and above you can actually go a lot longer without needing to worry about your fuel running out the problem with the theory is that fat's not that easy to break down it takes much more time and it's much much slower so actually if you're running fast it's not the ideal form of um, energy but if you're running slower then yes there's a possibility you'll get a benefit but I think again I don't want to be somebody that simplifies this down and kind of says, when you run slow, you use fat. And when you run fast, you use carbs. Because that's not how it works. Like, it's a continuum. We're always using a bit of fat and a bit of carbohydrate. However, the faster you go and the quicker your body needs energy, the more likely you are to rely on carbohydrate for fuel.
2: Do you think there's a trend at the moment? I feel like we've gone through, you know, real diet trends where suddenly we stopped eating carbs and now intermittent, f- intermittent fasting and um, 5-2 diets and things like that are so popular. They're in every magazine, every Instagram post you see. Do you, What is your position? Do you think this is something that, you know, the running world's kind of taken for a little bit, but in a few years' time, we'll all be eating more carbs than ever? Do you know what I mean? Do you think it is just a fad or do you think it's, what's your position on it, I guess I'm trying to say?
1: So, I'm very anti low carb diets. And I'm also pretty anti intermittent fasting. Um, And I'm, you know, very happy to say that on record. And in fact, um, you know, I think Rick, Rick knows I've got a new book coming out. And I actually talk about all these aspects like why these, why these diets are around, why people choose them, and then actually, are there ever any benefits to them? And, you know, I'm not saying that they're not beneficial at times. It's for some people, they might be at certain times, but it, it really is very individual. I think to answer your question, Jane, I suppose um, humans tend to be like sheep. We sort of follow. So if someone does something and they've had a great result, then we all believe that if we all do the same, then that will will get the same result. And I think social media heightens that because we're constantly comparing and we're constantly being provided with information 24-7. But again, if you think about social media, it also creates a lot of confirmation bias. So if you have decided that fasted training or intermittent fasting or even like being plant-based is the way you want to go, you're more likely to follow individuals that do that. So all you're getting is that same information reiterated again and again and again, which of course then becomes your beliefs and your reality. And, and you know, it's hard then to sort of get a, a much more varied and diverse um, block of information that you can actually make an informed decision of. So I think, I'll be honest, if you look at the science there's absolutely nothing to back up a low carb diet particularly for runners even endurance runners there is like we said this this concept of training low where you can do a couple of sessions a week in what we would call a carb depleted state so you would you would do a a training session but you have to be really careful about the length of time that session is. So we'd say no longer than a couple of hours max. And that's also for somebody who's really well trained. So if you're new to the running world, we'd say no more than an hour. It needs to be at um, a threshold that is actually very, very low intensity. So where you can have conversations and you're not out of breath. So we sort of, we're looking at sort of five to six out of 10 in terms of exertion and you do need to make sure that you then replenish the amount of carbs that your body would require for the rest of the day after the training session, you know, over the next, whatever, 12 hours of of that day that you're going to be consuming food. And these are really, really important points if you want to get that adaptation that everybody thinks they're going to get from doing a fasted session. So there are definite opportunities to use this method to support training and to get adaptation and to improve your ability to use more fat for fuel. However, it it is really, really, um, you have to be really careful about when you do it. It's not something you should do every single day. And in fact, we know that if you do do it every single day, there's a big possibility that you can actually sort of down um, down downregulate and depress your immune system. So you put your body at a higher risk of um, being stressed and then actually mitigating any adaptation from it we also know that for women particularly it could be quite um, detrimental to hormones um it is detrimental to men as well but with women it's much more uh it's much quicker it's much more our bodies are much more sensitive because of estrogen our bodies are much more sensitive and so we will respond to a carb depleted um position a lot quicker than 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 our male counterparts who who will eventually but it might be two or three years down the line whereas with women it'll be it'll pick you know we'll pick it up quite quickly
0: you've worked with, really as i said in the intro with like everyday runners and also we're all sort of top athletes is this fasted training something that is actually popular among the, the, the elite runner or is it actually more something that's kind of purported by the kind of the influencer and it's not something that, that perhaps most athletes actually do too much of
1: Yeah, it's a really good question, Rick. And I would say working with the athletes, the the elite level athletes I have, is often because they do have a sports science team around them, you know, they're being provided that informed information that actually you're going to do this session in this state, but only because this is what we're trying to encourage you to, you know, um, adapt to. But this is what you need to do afterwards. So actually, it's it's not actually that popular in elite level um, running. But it is definitely something that has banded down. So I think sometimes even elite athletes, especially now with the influence of social media, may become affected by what they read and see as well. And, you know, they may have that conversation with their coach. And if that and and if that coach then doesn't have a team, like a physiologist or, or a dietitian or, you know, someone that they can then go and have a conversation with, they might go, well, let's give it a go. And then that can be something that, is then promoted. And what's interesting is, I don't know if you ever noticed that even when an athlete does promote something, often they only promote it for a short period of time because usually they realize it doesn't work and then it's no longer promoted anymore. So it kind of demonstrates that, you know, again, someone might try something but realizes soon that it doesn't support their training because it's actually really difficult to hit the paces you want to hit if you're in a carb-depleted state. So, yeah, I'd say it's much more recreational influencer runner than it is elite-level runner.
3: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.
2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just
1: under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company,
3: offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm someone who has suffered with eating disorders for
2: a, a large, large chunk of my, um, my life and luckily not anymore but I wonder whether things like this are a slippery slope to oh if I can skip breakfast and go for a run and I've burnt this many calories I'll then have a lighter lunch oh now are are they a slippery slope into more dangerous things which we know are very common in sports and especially the athlete
1: world yeah I mean again a really good observation I suppose it's if we look at we look at eating disorders or we look at individuals that have a tendency to have a difficult relationship with food and exercise there's there's so many factors that we have to take into consideration obviously often individuals have a genetic susceptibility that's not to say that if you've got that genetic susceptibility you're going to have a problem but I think they have that genetic susceptibility and if that's put in the right environment um, and then we throw in modern society it's those three things that then influences behavior so you know again if we think about human behavior all human behavior has a purpose and often that purpose is protection so as an individual if you have if you're experiencing what we term in the in the kind of psychology world as emotional risk so you know you're noticing you're experiencing criticism or rejection or abandonment or not feeling good enough or or whatever it might be you don't want to experience that you want you know you want to avoid that and often our behaviors around food and exercise can temporarily help us to avoid those, those emotional risk factors and so we then learn that that's the case and that becomes a learned behavior that you know as as sadly you probably found out jane leads to more more biological and health consequences that are really not worth it. But in that moment, it feels like the right thing to do because it's all you know. So I think it's important to sort of highlight that. But I think the other thing to remember is that often um, two sort of addictive, I suppose, behaviours tend to sit alongside each other. So something I see is that if someone has had an eating issue previously... And it's unresolved, as in they haven't gone away and done the work, they haven't understood the reasons why they've needed those, that eating behaviour to, to as a coping mechanism, then they'll just go and transfer that to something else. And often we find that's running. And I see that a lot in the work that I do, that we see many, many people that have had eating problems, and then they'll come to us and they're like, I don't have eating problems anymore. But, you know, but they have a real difficult relationship with exercise. And then they come to us because they They get injured and then they realize that actually, oh, I'm not really coping with this at all. So I think those things are really important to understand. And and I guess then, yes, if you, you know, if if you sort of miss breakfast and go for a run, again, we know that once you start restricting energy availability, it can start to affect how you think. And if you've already maybe previously had those um, those tendencies, then that can come, that can fall back in quite, quite quickly. So, I, I think it's really important. I think being human is actually quite exhausting, and we're all often trying to sort of um, behave in a way that helps us to function. And if you're very self-aware and you know that you know you're a perfectionist or you tend to have an obsessive personality, you're kind of always working against that because you know that once you go down that road, um, it it can actually be quite dysfunctional. So, so yeah, I mean, I like I said, I'm not a big fan of fasted training. I never do fasted training, ever. Um, that's not to say that I eat a massive bowl of porridge or have loads of, like, you know, big fry-up before I go running. I mean, I, everything, when I'm running or when I'm working with athletes, will we'll talk about what might be suitable so you know if it is an easy run then it might be that you can have a banana and a glass of juice and you don't need to eat something you know really heavy but actually if you want to try and do a hard training session if you're going to do like a tempo or a hill session or you know some intervals in the morning then you really do need to make sure you've got not just energy availability but that carbohydrate availability so it might be that you have to use you know a gel or a couple of gels so you have one before you start your your training and then you have one halfway through in order to make sure that you provide your body with what it needs to be able to deliver the session but to also then get the hormonal cascade you need afterwards to get that progression you know to to get that adaptation
0: finally Rina, you're going to be uh runner's world nutrition columnist which is which is great news and we're really excited to have you um as part of the magazine i wondered kind of broadly what you kind of hope you might communicate um through Having a monthly column and, and the kind of messages that you that you might get out there, do you think?
1: Yeah. So, firstly, thank you. Yes, I'm very excited. And um, well, I think one of the things it is to also is to bring some of these myths to light. I think that, like I said, you know, there's so much misinformation out there. There are so many people trying to talk about nutrition specifically, but they don't have the right qualifications. And even in within nutrition, there are so many areas of speciality. So, you know. I started off with a biochemistry degree, then I did dietetics, and then I did applied sports nutrition, so I got three degrees to give me that information. but actually, on top of that, I've had over ten years of experience working with athletes, and that's very, very different because human beings are not textbooks, so no matter how much theory you might read, it's not the same as working with somebody. I did a um a webinar last week, and we were talking about energy availability and you know the theory behind energy availability would suggest that, you know, you only need a small amount of energy per kilogram of body weight. But actually, when you're working in practice with people, that's not the same as a laboratory controlled environment. You know, humans are living in a, you know, in an environment where things constantly changing, and we have stress, and we have adrenaline, and we have um, different temperatures. And we have to take that all into consideration. and, And through experience, you learn that. So I guess, you know, like, If I was asked to um, write a column about children's nutrition, even though my past experiences I've worked in that field, now I would say, no, I'm really sorry. I haven't had enough experience in that field to be able to do that. And I I think, I, I really hope that people start to realize that nutrition is, it's very widespread. It's very complicated. And it's not just as simple as regurgitating information from a from a journal it's actually understanding the human body understanding the psychology just the way we just discussed as well and and then being able to put all that together in a practical format so you know I think like one of the things that I'm known for is being practical and and offering lots of practical solutions so I'm hoping that with the column we can not only myth bust but we can also give people something that they can take away each month and and use to help their running and to enjoy their running.
0: Uh, so that sounds great, really. And yeah, it's, it's really exciting to have you as part of the mag. So thanks for agreeing to do that. And thanks for coming on the, the podcast talking about faster running. I hope everyone who's listened to it is in a more informed position um, to make up their mind about it. So thanks very much for your time.
1: No, thanks for having me.
0: So that brings us to the end of this week's Run as Well podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening and uh, thanks very much.
2: You can once again subscribe to three issues of Run as Well for £5. Um, head to hearstmagazines.co.uk. Forward slash RunnersWorld well Podcast to get this listener offer. And yeah, you can listen to the Run As well Podcast on ACAST iTunes, all your favourite apps. Search RunnersWorld well UK and please do subscribe and we'll appear at the top of your list every Tuesday morning. So just do it. Um thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.
3: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row. Dreaming of something better.